Yo, 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 what up, man? It's the one and only Smooth Egg, and as you can see, by all means, we are pushing forward with more content for you. Please subscribe and donate to keep the platform moving. Even a dollar can help us keep producing more content. NothingBeatsExperience.com. Make sure to donate. The link is in the description. It's also pinned to the top of the comments. I hope you enjoy the show. You already know Nothing Beats Experience. Let's go. Come on. Yo, 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 what it is, what it was, man. We back. It's the one and only, man. Nothing beats experience quarantine edition. I'm joined here by none other than the one, the only, man. 20 years in the game. Y'all already know. Baby Bash, what's up, bro? What it do? What it do? Hey, man, how, how you been holding up during this quarantine right now, man? Uh, We've been cool. You know, I, I got lucky. You know, I got I got the kids. I got, I got my girl. I got a... Uh, we, we're living nice, you know, nice little home life, chilling, man. Just, uh... uh a lot of time with the kids, a lot of food, a lot of popcorn, a lot of movies, uh, smoking a lot of weed. Uh, what else am I doing, man? Writing, trying to get some new projects in the marijuana game going on, trying to brainstorm. So it's been, it's been a nice retreat. I call it a retreat because it's just, this, you know, I would have had like 50 shows by now, but no shows, no crowds, no nothing. So it's a cool, calm effect. Is this the longest break you've had since being in the music industry in terms of just like not doing shows? It's the longest break I've ever had in my whole career, man. Since, since when I was with SPN, we'd be on the road, um, 1999, 2000. I was on, I've been on the road since like 1999, 2000 at least, like a hardcore nonstop, uh, all year. And even, you know, even when I, when my records were like, Number one, number two, and in, in, in the top twenty and stuff. When I, my career was real hot. Even to this day, I've had the same amount of shows, so it never let up. You know what I'm saying? So you know, people be like, "Oh, his songs are on the radio, or he's not on the charts." But my shows bigger than ever. That's that's the craziest thing about my career. It's like my shows never stop. As a matter of fact, I think I got more shows since them days. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, I feel like a lot of that is attributed to the passionate base that you guys have and that you've been able to establish over the years, man. Like, you guys are still playing. And I know you in specific, I've seen shows that you're still playing in front of thousands of people. It's not like you're playing clubs. You're playing big bills, thousands of people, man. So uh, that's crazy, bro, just to know after all these years that you're still able to, to produce at that level. But, hey, before we get into actually talking about music, I wanted to talk about boxing. I saw Ellie Segback was on your IG feed. Here's the thing, man. I'm a big pro boxing fan. You know what I'm saying? I'm a hardcore. I, I interview a lot of fighters. I want to know who are some of the fighters that you're, that, you're, that you're a big supporter of. Obviously, I see you rocking with Andy Ruiz. I see you rocking with a lot of people. Who's your, your top five? And then who are some of the younger guys that you're looking at that you think that are on the rise? My top five of all time? Let's, let's oh, do all time. Let's oh, do all time. Top let's five do. right now. Yeah, top five right now, top five all time. Don't matter. Let's just talk boxing. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm a big Roberto Duran guy. I'm a big Sugar Ray Leonard guy. I'm a real big Salvador Sanchez guy, which we, we never really got to see, which I think Salvador Sanchez would have been the greatest fighter for Mexico of all time if his life wouldn't cut short at age 23. Uh, Marvin Hagler, Larry Holmes, uh, big Canelo guy, you know what I mean? Uh, I love, right now, I like Mikey Garcia. Uh, I like Ramirez, right? Jose Luis Ramirez is a savage right now. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, I was a big Macho Camacho guy. My, I used to pretend I was Macho Camacho when I was younger back in the day. I, 
And I, and when I was young, I thought Macho Camacho was Mexican, like the whole time until I really found out he was Puerto Rican, you know what I mean? But I was a big Macho Camacho guy coming up, uh, 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 hardcore coming up back in the day too, you know? But I go way, I go back to Bobby Chacon, Cornelius Boza Edwards, uh, uh, way back in the day, you know what I'm saying? Danny Little Red Lopez. Um, but I'm, I'm really missing my fights right now. I really wish they could have these fights. I, I, I'm a big Pacquiao guy, you know. I, I'm a big Pacquiao guy. I think Pacquiao's probably top three to ever do it. You know what I mean? Maybe top two. So, well, who would you say are some of the younger guys that are on the on the come up that you're looking at that you're like, man, that's that's someone you need to keep your eye on. Well, Jose, uh, right now, I'm, uh, 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 Jose Ramirez, for sure. Are you, are you up on him? Oh yeah, absolutely, man. I saw his fight. I was actually there uh, whenever he fought Hooker. Oh yeah, yeah, he fought Hooker. Yeah, yeah. He He's part of the Robert Garcia camp. Look, I'm going to tell you who I, I want you to keep an eye on. If you don't know who he is, I'm sure you're going to. Who is it? Out. Virgil Ortiz out of Grand Prairie, Texas. Oh yeah, yeah. Vir oh, hell yeah, Virgil Ortiz is a monster. You know, he's a he's, he's on a collision course to some big fights right now. You know, I just want I don't want the, his camp to make no mistakes. But Virgil Ortiz is a monster. I mean, he's up there with uh, Lope, uh, Teofimo Lopez and all them dudes that they're trying to blow up right now. You know, Virgil Ortiz is up there with all them. Well, you know, I was I was talking to Robert Garcia about this, and whenever I spoke to Robert, the one thing that he said about Virgil is that he feels that right now that he could probably beat a lot of the top guys, but he doesn't want to rush them because he says, if he goes straight for the big fight right now, then he's not going to have no other fights to, to lean back on whenever he, he knocks them out or he beats them down. He's like, you got to yeah. build towards that because, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to build the purse up, if you know what I mean. So Yeah, you got to build that money. It's a business, you know, it's, it's a business. And Robert, you know, he has a great idea of what's going on in the business. But, uh, yeah, Virgil is a uh, champion for sure. You know what I mean? Uh, he's a, he's a, Virgil Ortiz is a champion. I think he follows me on Instagram or something like that. I mean, I, I, he, he's liked some of my stuff before. You know what I mean? So it's cool. Yeah, he's, a, he's, a, he's dope. Uh, let me see who else is out there, man. Uh, I think the heavyweight division right now is pretty stacked. You know what I'm saying? With, with uh, Andy Ruiz, you got Deontay Wilder, you have Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua. Luis Ortiz, you got a, a good a good heavyweight division right now too, which is really the first time in a long time that we've seen it be that competitive because the Klitschko's just ran it for so long, you know what I mean? For years for fucking years, and them fights was so boring to watch, you know. Uh, uh, the Klitschko's would he would just just, just <laughs> you know just stay away, stay away, and couldn't all get in. But as far as heavyweights right now, I, I think you, you named the, the it's a it's a four or five headed monster right now, you know, with Andy. Tyson, uh, AJ, and Wilder. Uh, man, I used to think King Kong had a chance, man. But King Kong, I don't know, man. Shit, that last fight with Wilder, he had a good, he had a chance to do it, man. But he keeps getting caught, and his age, his age might be showing a little bit now. He's about fifty-five, but it, <laughs> they don't know his real age and shit out there in Cuba and shit, man. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, him and Andy go at it. I think that'd be a good one. I think that'd be a good one. Uh, for Andy, if Andy's able to, to to knock him out, kind of just puts him back in position. They're actually saying that Andy's about to get Eddie Reynoso, Reynoso as his trainer. He's about to join the Canelo. That's what he wants. That's, that's, that's what he wants. He wants Eddie Reynoso to be in the Canelo camp. I think Andy, Andy, if he trains hard and is on tip-top Andy Ruiz shape, I think he, uh, okay. Okay, let him in. Tell him I'll be out in a minute. Um, I think Andy can be, beat them all. And Tyson Fury, that might be hard, though. I mean, Tyson Fury, just his body, his size, 
the way he flails his arms, his his, his uh, feints. I think Tyson Fury is probably the toughest one to beat out of all of them. With two two more questions, boxing related. Have to ask you before we get off of boxing. Who wins Canelo Triple G Part Three, and how does that end? Oh, Canelo locks him out this time. For sure. What's up? Okay, leave it out there. I'll get it. Leave it out there. <laughs> daddy duties, daddy duties. Man, don't stop, man. Quarantine life, man. Quarantine life. But I, I think Canelo. You know, I, I'm a big Triple G guy too. I like Triple G, man. But I just think he's 38, about to be 39. And he, he got hit so hard, so much the last two fights. I just think he's slowing down. I think Canelo actually knocks him out this time. And I think Canelo's getting better. Canelo's yeah. been getting better ever since he fought Mayweather. He's been getting better ever since he fought Mayweather. He's getting better and better. So then I switch to the next, the next and last boxing question I have for you. 147, Terrence Crawford versus Earl Spence Jr. Who wins that fight? If I had to bet, I would bet Earl Spence. Ooh, that's interesting. You know, I've asked several people on the show who they would have because, you know, I, I love talking about boxing. Mm -hmm. I love Spence. I would have said Spence prior to the accident. Since the accident, we don't really know what's left in him. Uh, I'm not going to doubt him. But I got. I'm gonna go with Crawford. I think Crawford's a dog, man. I think Crawford really just. But Crawford got put down by that that, that one dude. The last fight, though, that, that they didn't call it official knockdown, but it was a knockdown. He got hit and he got split and he and he wobbled. I, I just think if Spence catches him with those shots, man, it's a wrap. You know, I, I think Crawford hasn't really fought nobody to me yet. Who the, the uh, he fought the uh, the Benavides brother, Jose, who had one leg. But I don't think Crawford's fought the guys that. Uh, that uh, Spence has already fought Porter and Garcia and stuff like that, you know. And he, you know, he kind of dominated Mikey. So, and Mikey beat Crawford in the amateurs and shit like that. So I, I just think Spence, man, his body type is just too big and too strong. And but, but you're right. It all depends on how his body reacted to that accident. Okay, so I, you at, when you asked me the question, it was I didn't think about the accident. But after the accident, we don't know how he is now. Right now, so you're right. But. I just think if it was before the accident, I think Spence would win. So let's talk about music now, man. You've been in the game for 20-plus years. Let's just fall back and give you some flowers on that, man, because, you know, that's a, that's a hell of a career already, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, know, I don't know if you feel the wear and tear on your body. Like, you know, like a lot of these athletes, once they've been in the, the business for so long, you know what I'm saying? It's like, damn, I've been in it this long. You feel that wear and tear. How, how have you... You know, how does it feel to know that you've been in the game this long, man? Do you, do you feel that way in terror? Do you? I know this is the first time you've had an extended break, not because of you, but, you know what I'm saying, because of what's going on. Yeah. How, how do you soak it all in, bro? Man, it's crazy, dog, because yeah, I don't feel nowhere in terror, though. I, I feel great. I feel great. I, uh, it, it's, a, it, it's more of a trip to me. I just think – I'll sit back and think, like, man, I can't believe I'm still doing this. Uh after all these years, I, I never even wanted to be, I never even thought I could be a famous guy. I never really wanted to be a, a rapper coming up. That's the whole thing. So I never really took myself serious as, as, as the rapper guy. Or I'm going to be a rapper. Um, you know what I mean? I never, I still don't take myself serious. I think I've just been blessed that once I smoke a joint, I can write a song. And, and, that, and that's been more more, more my, my lifestyle as, as a song creator. Not trying to be the rapper, but trying to create the actual whole song. Because if you hear my songs, You'll hear somebody else singing a hook, but it's a hook that I wrote, that I created, that I came with the melody. And, you know, if I could sing, I'd be a multi-billionaire, but I can't sing with the shit. But <laughs> more of a song creator. Uh, I'm not the hardcore party guy. You know what I mean? I smoke a lot of weed. That's it. I, you know what I mean? So 
it's more about weed and and, and, and and pussy, you know what I'm saying? So so that so that didn't really wear a tear on me. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like it might have torn my ball bag a little bit, but I didn't really wear a tear on my body like that. But uh uh no, I, I feel great as ever. I feel you know, I feel good as ever. It, it didn't really wear me out. It's, it, it, this break might, might be great for me that I needed this break because I ain't had a break since 2000. I've been on the road. I've been, I tell people all the time, I've been touring since 2000. Non-stop. On the dot. <laughs> That's 20 years on the dot, man. Non-stop. Well, let me ask you. So in terms of your career, when did it actually get started? How did it get started? Because obviously a lot of people from Texas, you know, we're, you know I'm from Texas, you know, that Dallas Fort Worth. So a lot of people are familiar with you. First heard of you from the Dope House days. But prior to that, was there a history? Or and I, I know that we've asked you this before, but you know we're just trying to give the fans some entertaining content right now. Give them a little bit of a backstory. How did yeah, you start I, I signed the profile records with a group called Pot the Deuce uh, back in '94, '95. Pot the Deuce. We had a, we had some records. I was a young cat. We didn't know what we were doing. We just got lucky. Kind of record deal put out a, cu a couple of records. Then I started working with JT at a form group called Latino Velvet, where I got with Kid Frost after that. And uh, Kid Frost, who's a legendary Chicano rapper, he liked my style, he liked my, my game. I was always slang oriented. I was always ahead of my game. I, I wasn't like a, a hardcore, I wasn't like a cholo, gangbanger type rapper, nothing like that. I was more just uh, more saucy with it. And uh, he liked that. So. He, he would start bringing me around to write songs for him. He introduced me to SPM, South Park Mexican. Uh, and then Carlos flew me to, to Houston. I did a couple songs on the Third Third Wish album. And then I did Wiggy Wiggy, which changed my whole life. I, I did Wiggy Wiggy, and then he took it for his album. And when that song blew up, I never left. I, I, I stayed, and we just toured, and my life just, it, it gave my, my career a boost. And from then on, I've been touring ever since, you know. So was your rap name, uh, obviously, you used to go by Baby Beach, but prior yeah. to, did you have any other rap names? My first rap name when I first started was Young Wheat Bread. That was my first name, Young Wheat Bread, because <laughs> I, I had my first name, and then uh, I went to Baby Beachy because I had the little Mr. Beachy truck. People already knew me as Beach, Beachy, and then uh, Bash. Uh, came along, the Bash Brothers came along. So yeah, We Bear was my first one, then it was Baby Beach, and then it ended up as Baby Bash when I, when I signed with Universal. So Beach, the name came from, you driving a Mitsubishi? Yeah. <laughs> That's back, back in the mini truck days. Do you remember mini trucks and shit back in the days? I remember that. That's wild. I never do that. That's actually one of the questions I, I asked the fans what they wanted me to ask you, and they wanted to know how you came up with that name, and how, and how did it transition into Bash? Like, how did the name change? How did it become Bash from Beach? Beach, uh, well, SPM, uh, my brother, my brother started calling me Bash. It rhymed with grass and hash, and then SPM would call me, uh, I'd smoke some grass with baby, and SPM liked the word baby bash. And then I used to bash a lot of, you know, when, back in the day when, when we'd be like, oh, did you fuck? Or we'd be like, man, did you bash? You know what I'm saying? That means did you hit? Did you fuck? Did you hit? And I was King Bash because I was bashing, you know what I'm saying? I was known to bash, you know what I'm saying? So. That, that's what it was. It was almost a joke, and it just turned into a real name. You know, it's crazy. That's wild, man. So let, let let's talk about SPM here for a second. Obviously, uh, you know he played a part. You know, and and with that Wiggy Wiggy hit, you know him taking that record, putting it on his album. 
skyrockets. Did you know whenever you created that record that it was going to be as big as it was? Did you, because you know, there's times when you make records and when you make these records, you automatically know like, we got one. Did you know that you had one with that one? Well, the thing about that record is Shadow, my boy Shadow had the beat. We were right, me, Shadow, and Grim were driving somewhere and Shadow was playing some beats. They were working on SPN's album and then they played the Wiggy beat and there was no rap on it. There was nothing on it. It was just a beat. So I started going, wiggy, wiggy, wiggy. I started saying some shit and, and, and some funny shit. Then I started saying, do you eat out of titty, wiggy, wiggy. And we were just funny. So we were just making shit up on the road, driving. And Shadow said, man, Carlos wanted to turn this song into a murder beat. He said, this beat, Carlos wanted to be a gangster murder song. He had some other shit to it. I was like, all right, well, shit. He said, but Shadow goes, but I like what you're doing better. Let's try your shit first. So I did my shit first. And then SPM came to the studio and everyone's around laughing at the shit. So SPM starts joining in, starts making up shit because SPM was clever. So he would join in. Uh, he would, have you ever bought a TV from Dope Fiend Willie? And we all started laughing. So then it was a competition of who could come with the best wiggy wiggy uh, rhymes. You know what I mean? We're all around the studio smoking weed, cracking the fuck up. That was one of the funniest days. And we came up with them all and then Carlos decided to keep it the way it was. So he took my verses out and kept one verse. I kept my, the verse that I thought was best and I kept it in there. Then he, he, he wrote two more verses on it. And then when he did it, I thought it was a funny song, but you have to understand at that time in Carlos and SPM's career, there was so much chaos going around. It was moving so fast and he was like, he was like the king and there was so many people trying to get at him. And to want it. it was so chaos. There was everybody wants something from Carlos. They were just trying to suck him dry. So he had so much going on in his life and I was kind of just, step back watching the shit. I, I didn't want to be involved in it because I was already like, man, I'm, I'm going to step back and everybody wants something from Carla. Everybody was there at the dope house. And I just would step back and, and me and Grim would kind of, me and Grim became real close at that time. And we would just wait our turn and, and wait for the shows. And, and then next thing you know, we could we get on the radio. Once they hit radio in Houston, they played that shit every 30 minutes, dog. And then <laughs> we took off from there. Then I, then I knew, once they hit the radio, I knew it because Carlos always had a lot of songs. And whatever he put out, people liked anyway because of his voice and his, his, his delivery was tight, always on point. So, uh, but once they released Wiggy Wiggy, I was happy as fuck because that shit hit the radio quick. So let me ask, I mean, I mean, it kind of goes without saying, but how instrumental was he in your career? And, you know, um, what's something that you really took from being around SPM during the time that you were around him that you applied to your career later on? Uh, SPM was very instrumental in my career, very instrumental. You know, it goes back to Kid Frost, it goes back to JT, the people who made me rap. You know, I, like I said, I never wanted to be a, a rapper. I wanted to work at a grocery store. I, I thought I'd have a good life if I, my friend's mom and dad worked at a grocery store and they had a nice house and a nice car. And I thought if I could do that, I'd be gay. That was my thoughts in high school and shit. But I was always kind of funny and talking shit to people and I kind of turned into rhymes and that's where it came in. But it started with JT, and then it got with Kid Frost. Kid Frost introduced me to SPM. I made a career with Dope House Records, uh, SPM Instrumental, but I wrote a lot of stuff, too, for SPM. Like every song you heard me on SPM, I, am, I was right. It was my song, you know what I mean? So I probably had, like, 25 songs with SPM, but they were my songs at first. And then you can tell the difference with an SPM song and a Baby Bass song. Baby Bass song will have a different producer. A lot of SPM songs he produced himself, and you'd, you'd hear the difference in the beat. He, his beats were simple, but his voice was so powerful, he, he'd make it raw. 
my shit, it'd be like Happy Perez beat or, or somebody else would make a beat. And then I make a song out of it. And then Carlos would come in and go, yeah, let me get that song. Yeah, I'll put that on my album. So, so we kind of helped each other both a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important as an artist to kind of understand, like, especially when I think when around the time that you started really working with SPM, he had already put out some projects, but to start kind of expanding the sound, you kind of have to bring more of a collective. And then as you bring in the collective, you're able to kind of reach a certain, a, a different sound. And I think that's what you brought to the table, but coming out of the situation, obviously you went on, you became baby bash, you end up getting signed to universal. And then you start having your own mainstream success. Cause you know, once you started having that mainstream success, you were on, MTV, goddamn TRL, all that shit at the time. You know, you were you're all over the radio killing it. Sugar Sugar hit really hard. And then it took off, you know, like at that point, you go back to the days of you being in high school, thinking that grocery, working at a grocery store was, you know, successful. Like, how did you interpret it as it was happening? Like, holy shit, like I'm a rap star now. <laughs> you're like a real rap star, like outside of just, because, you know, like not to take anything away from the dope house, I think Dope House is obviously something that you, you like, to this day, is so meaningful to the people. You know, the, the fans are so passionate. But yeah. in a lot of ways, it's like it's its own island. It's like a, it's like a regional thing, you know. And, and when you came onto the scene, you became a, a national, you know, mainstream artist. You yeah. know? Like, globally, because globally. Because Sugar Sugar and Cyclone took me all over the world. Not just, not just national. That shit was global. That shit's crazy. But... You're right. The, the dope house days. I had my Latino velvet days. Was on our own island. My dope house days. That's on their island. And then the baby bash national global day. That's that's a whole another uh, wave, you know. And uh, it all set me up for for that success. But like I said, I never took myself serious. Uh, I didn't really know I was, I, I was doing it big until I got my first check. Because when I was with dope house and when I was with Latino velvet. I wasn't really making no money, really making no money back then. You know what I mean? Even though it looked all good and shit, I wasn't, I didn't have a house or, or a car and shit like that. I had a couple of hoopties and shit, but they got, I had a lot of girls that would take care of me, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, well, yeah, you know, but, but, uh, until I got that first $300,000 check, when I got that check, I was like, oh shit, it really happened. But I also invested great. I didn't, uh, I didn't, um, buy a bunch of, jewelry and a bunch of fucking crazy exotic cars and a bunch of I didn't you know trick I, I always had I always had girlfriends so I never had to pay for pussy like a lot of these rappers they pay for the pussy like I always had chicks you know what I mean so I never had to pay for no pussy like that but I, I invest I knew the marijuana game was going to come up I invested in marijuana I invested in properties and uh, because I've seen people blow their money coming up I've seen different artists blow their money and I knew I was going to do that so so I just made good investments and uh, like I said, I'm not a real hardcore partier. Like, so everyone's partying, happy-go-lucky. I was just chilling, man, you know, thinking about my next move, my next song, you know. We'll go back to Sugar Sugar, man. You did that record. Frankie J ended up on that record. How did that record come together, man? That's a, that's a classic, a, a certified classic, you know, especially for us Latinos, man. Like, that's up there, you know what I mean? How did that record come together? That was a... Uh, well, I became good friends with DJ Kane from the Cumbia Kings. The Cumbia Kings and Dope House, we would do shows together. That's how crazy it was so dope. And a lot of, a lot of people, the Cumbia Kings were big Dope House fans, you know, and we, I wasn't really up on them, but I knew, i like, man, these guys are dope. Look, the good singers, Mexican uh, showmanship, Selena's brother. I was like, damn, you know, pretty dope. But I became good friends with DJ Kane at first, one of the lead singers. DJ and Frankie were the two lead singers. But DJ would smoke weed and shit, and Frankie was more, uh, 
Frankie is a nice guy. Frankie just uh, don't drink, don't smoke, just real, 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 real uh, chill dude. We, we were friends with Frankie too, but I would smoke with DJ and we'd always talk about doing music together and shit. And uh, then I'll tell Frankie, Frankie, we're gonna do a song together too, right? I was in San Diego and I, and I, and I called Frankie and I said, hey, I'm in San Diego, you wanna work on some music? He came through and uh, we went to a studio and we created Sugar Sugar. We did like three songs that day. And uh, Sugar Sugar became a hit. Little did I know it was, it was gonna become what it was, you know, because I thought it was too soft at first. Cause I was still, I was still in my, in, in my dope house mentality, like fuck the radio, you know, which was stupid, completely stupid. And I was like, man, fuck the radio, all that shit. I want to stay hard. But my pockets wanted the radio, you know what I mean? So. We, I had that song for a year before I even let anybody hear it. That's how, I had a song for a year sitting there on a CD, and then I finally had a couple of radio station guys here, and they started playing it. Corpus, Corpus Christi was the first guy to ever play it. Ed O'Connor and Corpus Christi was the first person to ever play it. And it was originally called Lifted. It wasn't even called Sugar Sugar. I wrote Lifted because that's how, when I smoked weed, I said, man, I'm lifted. That means I'm high. So. Ed played it on his own and called me and said, hey, they love that Sugar Sugar song, man. They love it over here. I said, well, it's called Lifted. He goes, nah, man, they're calling it Sugar Sugar, so I'm going to call it Sugar Sugar or, or else I'm not going to play it. So I go, man, all right, it's called Sugar Sugar then. <laughs> then we sent it to Homie Marco and, and then Houston and San Antonio started playing it and then it took off from there. I didn't have a record deal yet. Oh, so that was before Universal. That was before I even had a record deal. They were playing off a CD and that's how record labels found out about it. The record label was like, man, who's this? Who's this baby bad sugar shit? What is this shit? And that's when the label started calling me and wanted to sign me. They flew me, flew me to New York. That's when I met Pit Bull. Pit Bull started to come up. And we were going to different labels, figuring out who we were going to sign. And uh, I signed with Universal. And uh, uh, Pit Bull ended up signing with Big B. I think Big B. Not, was it Big B back then? One of those. It was like part of the TVT situation, wasn't he? Yeah, TVT. He signed with TVT. Yeah. I met with TVT too, and I didn't sign with that motherfucker. Thank God, because he was a crook. <laughs> well, let me ask you something, man. Like, you know, just kind of in retrospect, you know, uh, what advice would have you given a younger version of yourself, or what advice would you give a younger artist now, like that's that's trying to break into the business? Because the business now is very different than it was then, and it's very interesting. You know, I had a little flip on the show, and he said something that stood out to me. He said, man, you know, the way that it was back then, you know, where you guys were physically selling albums, you know, like there were physical units being sold, sound scan, where now everything's being calculated by streams. He said, man, I don't understand how they calculate these streams. It's like the equivalent to back in the day when they used to have the Sam Goodies. You remember they used to have the listening stations? Imagine how many people heard the record, the songs on there. That's the equivalent to him saying the calculation of streams now, like, there's no way to really calculate that, right? They, they're like, oh, it's like every 12 streams is a sale. But like, what advice would you give an artist in the current climate, you know, in terms of things that you've learned from your career? One, one thing that I did in my career that saved my fucking, that keeps me, my money going is I own my publishing. That's one thing that I learned that when I got my publishing deal, I only gave them 25%. I kept 75% until the deal was over. So. I never let no one get over on me and my publishing because I'm a writer by heart. By trade, I'm more of a writer than, than an artist. I always like to write the shit create, but I get publishing checks now still. You know, back in the day, the record label would own your publishing too, but I didn't allow that to happen. And I would always say, keep your publishing 
And that's just desperation. You know what I mean? Keep your publishing. And I can live off my publishing alone. I don't got to do nothing ever again and just live off my publishing alone to this day. You know? So owning your publishing and keeping your business straight it would, would, would be the best advice uh, I would give myself, which I took. You know what I mean? I took my own advice, you know? Everything else, uh, I would probably say, uh, you know, just, just watch who you deal with, you know, because uh, everybody's coming at you at one time. Everybody, and, and you can't be nice. You got to learn to say no. You know, I, 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 I gave a lot of people a lot of money that I just gave money to just to give because I felt sorry for them or, or because they, they, they think they conned me or whatever. But it was like more like here, stop asking for something because everyone's going to come at you with all these ideas and all this. They all want money. So I, I, I probably would have taught myself to say no a little bit more. Would you say, uh, let's talk about another piece of the business, management. How important is having the proper management? I know you've had the same manager for how long now? Man, I've had Heavy for about shit. 15 years, man. Heavy keeps me working. Heavy, heavy keeps me, uh, you know, he's a homie. He's a friend. He's a great manager. He keeps, he's, he's Slim Thug's manager. Zero, Slim Thug, Baby Bash. Uh, he has a lot of artists, but... He keeps me on that road, man. He has a great relationship. So you, you got to make sure your manager is a manager that gets along with everybody. Just because he's your manager don't mean everybody likes him. You got to have somebody who, who, who has relationships with everybody. Some people have managers that no one likes. He's a fucking dick. We're not fucking with this dude. So you ain't going to get no shows. You know what I'm saying? You got to have, have a manager that, that has great relationships out there. And thank God I got one. Fanfare-wise, what is probably one of the craziest things that stands out that you've experienced on the road from one of your fans? Oh, man. Tattoos on their chest. <laughs> well, I've had a girl give me this. She, 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 she came up to me with this, with this scrapbook, a big old scrapbook of all kind of shit of me from all throughout the years. And then she, want, she, wanted, she wanted a piece of my hair. Then she wanted to make a doll out of me. She was like some voodoo shit. She's like, yeah, I do voodoo. I want to make a voodoo doll. And then can we, can we, can, she wanted to go back away from everybody by herself to talk so she can get some of my hair. And I was like, oh, hell no. I'm not doing that shit. That was almost like some voodoo shit. <laughs> oh, that's crazy, man. Crazy. I, I figured you'd probably have a lot of fans that may have gotten your, your, your autograph tattooed on them or something like that. You know? I, yeah, there's a couple of people. I, but I, I always tell I tell people I don't want them to tattoo my fuck. I've had I've had about eight or nine people fans that send me pictures of, of my tattoo on their body, but see my autograph is so horrible. Like I had the worst autograph of all time. Like, I never, it's a bad autograph. It's an ugly autograph. But I tell people do not get this shit tattooed on you because it's an ugly fucking autograph. But some still do it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would always try to tell people you don't want to do that shit, but people still, you know, still still do it. Currently, man, do you have anything that you got coming out? Anything that you're working on right now? You have uh, your own label, don't you? You're doing everything independently right now? Yeah, yeah. Bashtown Music. Me and Paul Wall got the Legalizer Project. You know, me and Paul Wall have been on the front lines of marijuana legalization in Texas, man, for years. We caught cases for this shit. So we have a group called the Legalizers. because We're trying to legalize uh, cannabis through all 50 states. So we're on a mission. So all our song is, is about cannabis. So the legalizers, definitely, if you want to know anything about cannabis or the weed game, listen to our albums, listen to our songs. The legalizers, we got a new one coming out. We got a song called Smoking Designer, because ain't nothing finer than Smoking Designer, man. That's what we do. Uh, I got a, me and Joey Quinones got a project called The Bash Tones, where I'm doing 
I'm doing a 50s, 60s type doo-wop hip-hop sound. And, and that's what I really love, like lowrider, crews, and oldies. But they're brand new. No samples, no, no redos. It's all brand new original music. And that's what I'm doing, some doo-wop shit. Didn't Danny Trejo do something like that? Danny Trejo, the Chicano Soul Shop. That's my business partner on the Chicano Soul Shop. We're, 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 we're going to change the name from the Chicano Soul Shop to Trejo's Soul Collections. Because we want to broaden it out. We, you know, the... We didn't want to, you know, keep. Plus, we're, we're on a, we didn't want to use that distribution no more either. But we're gonna call it Trejo Soul Collections, where we're doing music. I call them soldies, not oldies, but soldies because it's like soul music, and they sound like oldies, but it's brand new shit. Yeah, I heard some of the music, man. And some of the music was really uh, it had that vintage sound, man. And yes. I feel like that sound, believe it or not, like it's timeless, bro. So you can perform that music till you're 70 years old. <laughs> I'm going to be on the road till I'm 85, dog. I ain't playing. You know, hey, real quick, before I get off the subject of your, your group project with Paul Wall, man, shout out to Paul Wall, man. Look, there's a lot of people in this business, man. You meet a lot of people, a lot of artists, a lot of promoters, a lot of managers, very, very few that are genuine, that are, that are real. And Paul happens to be one of them, man. Nothing but love and respect to Paul for real, man. I tell people all the time, Paul, in this, in this shady business, this is shady business, man. 90% snakes, 85, 90% snakes. Paul Wall is one of the best humans in the world, man. Hey, man, I've, I've been telling him that I'm petitioning for him to be the, the mascot of Texas, man. <laughs> he is. He's the people's champ. He's, the, he's definitely the people's champ. That's, that's, that's been known for years, you know. I always tell him, man, you know, but, uh, so anyways, in terms of, you, you, you just said it, you, you want to, you know, you're down to perform till you're 85 outside of music. Do you have any aspirations, any other ventures outside of like, I know you said you, you've invested into real estate, but do you ever want to jump into like, I don't know, boxing promotion? I'm just giving you some, some ideas. I don't know if there's any other ventures you have outside of music podcast. I mean, that seems to be the wave right now with a lot of artists that are kind of jumping into this. Uh, post-music career where they're jumping into like what would be the equivalent of a pro athlete becoming an analyst, you know, like Yeah. Do you do any of that stuff? I don't know, man. I, I, think, I, I think I'd be a great podcast dude. I mean, I've had radio stations want me to work in the radio, do the morning show cause because of my, 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 my cleverness and my wittiness and my quick, my quick reaction shit, but uh, you know, I just want to save lives one plant at a time. And I'm really into the, into the, the cannabis business, hardcore. I'm full force. You know, I have about four different companies that I'm working with. And I'm just trying to save lives and get people off these pills, man, and, and get them into, the, into the, the organic, put the organic in their life. Uh, as far as, I've had, everybody wants me to do a podcast. Everybody wants me to do this. I'm not really good at uh, rehearsing or preparation or, you know what I mean? I, I've never... Let me tell you one thing about my shows. I've been on the road for over 20 years. I've never rehearsed one time in my life. Everything I've ever done has been from the, from the head, from the dome. Never rehearsed anything. And uh, I'm not sure if I'm ready to do that yet, to sit, to, you know, have to show up on the exact time and be somewhere exact day at 9 o'clock. You know, Wednesday, 8 o'clock, I got to be here because I got a podcast. I'm not, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. Just like radio. They want to hire me for radio a couple times, but I wasn't ready to, to show up at the you know, I love my life the way it is where I can just kind of get up and do what I want to be with my kids and shit like that. So I ain't really ready to, to, to go somewhere where I got to be there every day at a certain time yet, you know? Absolutely. Well, you know, I think to, to that point, you know, I've been doing these interviews now for over a year. Uh, I've had a lot of big guests and I've never rehearsed one time. It's always been off the dome. I feel it's more natural whenever you have that genuine just 
conversation kind of go off of it. So uh, I, I'm a big advocate of that. Um, don't panic because it's organic. Isn't that the, isn't right. that the slogan? <laughs> when you come from the head, it's all organic, man. It's all you. You know what I'm saying? It's, you know, I, like I've done MTV shows like Rock Dinner and shit like that. And, and you see all these reality shows. All these reality shows are so fake and set up, you know, and I, and I, I just couldn't do be a part of that no more. I couldn't even stand and be fake. It's, it's hard for me to be fake like that. So, so everything I do is mostly organic. And, and sometimes I think I'm too raw. Like for the mainstream, I'm too raw and I'm not corny enough. I'm not goofy enough. And I, or, or I'm not, I don't try to be too hardcore. You know, it's like people are trying to be too hardcore. Then you've got the goofy corny cat. See, I'm the cool cat on the side that, that evaluates everything and says, man, this shit's falling. You know what I'm saying? And they can't have someone like me on mainstream because I'm not goofy. I'm not, I'll expose all the goofiness. You know what I'm saying? So they got to keep me off that shit, you know? Well, you know, before we wind down, I wanted to say this, man. I think that, you know, I don't know how you see yourself, right? I don't know if you've ever really just self-assessed your career and said, man, you know, I've had a, a hell of a run. But you're, to me, you're a legend. You know what I'm saying? I feel like you've earned that status. I don't know if you feel that way, but looking at your career, sizing it up, knowing that not a lot of people have been able to experience the run that you've been able to have that you still have. Shit, you guys were in Dallas in February. You, Frankie, and a few other guys, and they shut down the venue because they over fucking booked it, I guess, or whatever. Like, there was a it was a complete fire hazard. It was so packed. There was people who bought tickets who couldn't even get in. There was hundreds of people who couldn't even get in, man. It was, we, had a makeup, we had a makeup show scheduled for last month, but this coronavirus shut it down. We, it was going to be fucking packed. We had a makeup show to let people who didn't get in come to the show, and this coronavirus fucked it all up. So, yeah, our show is as strong as ever. Uh, I, I never really looked back at my career like that. Like I said, I, I, just, I just flow. I just keep on going. One day I'll sit back and probably go over everything. I don't think I'm a legend. You know, I think legend, legend is a heavy word. I've been called legend many times by people, and, and it trips me out, but I don't feel like that. I just feel like a, 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 a kid who, who went from, from rags to, to doing good in life, man, and, and I did it the right way. I, I didn't step on no toes. I don't owe no one no money. I didn't do no one dirty. I just did it the right way, and I think that's what happened. Well, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to limit it to, you know, your success to being just Latino because I feel like you've transcended, like you said, globally. But if you did have a Mount Rushmore of Latin rap, who would those four people be on that Mount Rushmore? You don't have to include yourself. Okay, I want to include myself. Uh, Latin rap. Yeah, just Latin rap. It doesn't matter. All it any any any. It could be Big Pun. It could be Cypress Hill. Okay, okay. okay. It, don't gotta be, it don't gotta be Mexican. It could be Latin rap. Okay. Yeah. Well, you got Kid Frost, of course. Big Pun, of course. Uh, damn. Latin rap. Big Pun, Frost, who are legendary. Uh, shit. I'm going to throw B-Real Cypress Hill on there. Cypress Hill, exactly. So if I do Cypress Hill, I got to have both of them, Send Dog and B-Real, you know? Yeah. Even, even, even though B-Real was like kind of the, 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 the driver, the lyrical guy, B-Real has it. B-Real still got gaffed. B-Real spits to this day so hard. Well, I don't know if you saw the documentary on Netflix with Mr. Cartoon. Uh, yes, I did. Uh, Esteban, Esteban Cartoon, yeah. Man, you know, I don't know that people understand 
the enormity of how big Cypress Hill was during their run and their prime because this generation hasn't been as hip. And I feel at times we haven't done a good enough job of really giving Cypress Hill their just due. I know they just got their star in the Walk of Fame, but those guys were massive at one point, man. Those guys were massive. They were like the first, even though Run DMC transcended and did the rock rap thing, to me, they were the first role rock hip that hip-hop group that appealed to the rock audiences that drew like a a, a rock audience you know like cypress hill was a shit bro <laughs> and cypress hill was legendary they never get to just do because I, I hate to say it's because they're latino they're, they're americans and latino you know that's why they never even get to just do in this game i mean that's just how it is it's a black and white world when it comes to this this game out here in america it's a black and white world you know and uh you know we get our shine every now and then but but in our culture, we know who the, the gods are, the, 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 the smoke gods and the rap, the Mount Rushmore's. But in mainstream, it's always going to be a black and white world. You know, the, 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 uh, the Mexicans, I don't, know if they're, I don't know if we're scared of us or intimidated because, we, because we're not scared of nobody. We, you know, we don't bow down to the blacks or the whites. And, you know, some usually the whites will bow down to the blacks and be scared of them and shit. But we never... We aren't intimidated by shit. And, and we've always been kind of the outcast. We never really got our shot. And I, I'm talking about, I've been in the, in the mix as far as mainstream. I've, I've heard publicists talk. I've heard radio station DJs talk. I've heard program directors talk. I've had my records not played because I'm Mexican. The program director would call the DJ, hey, why are you playing that record? He's Mexican. This is a black station. And the DJ would call me, and the DJ would be Filipino. And the, and the Filipino would call me and say, man, I can't play your record, man. The boss calls said, "This is a black thing." I, I've had, I went through it all, you know what I mean, and, and I always try to figure out why, 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 you know. But I, I don't got the answer, but I'm gonna keep on, keep on moving, you know what I mean, and, and respect who, who, who the respectable, and that's what I do. Well, you know, and to that point, I'll say this because I, I do want to wrap up. You've given me enough of your time, but I just wanted to end it with this. Like you talk about that, I spoke to Life Jennings when I interviewed him, and he said, "You know, you're gonna win if you if you keep out what you're doing because." you're stacking up these, these really solid interviews, but he's like, there's not enough like Hispanic personalities really doing, doing what you're trying to do or really going after. And I, and I, I say to your point, man, like you're right. You know, we don't ever really get the just do that we deserve. Not just Cypress Hill in general, the, 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 the whole entire Latino community from Snow the Product to King Little G to yourself, to Frankie. I mean, Frankie's had a hell of a, a hell of a run, a hell of a career, still touring, you could name a ton of guys that were pop in 2000, 2001, 2002, people that have gone on to win American Idol and shit that aren't making the type of money and that, that are drawing the, the, the same type of audience as someone like Frankie is at this point in his career. But I'll go a step further. And that even, even with SPM, right? Because we talked about SPM earlier. Like, you know, he's, he's a fucking, he's solidified. He's an urban legend down here. And it's like, it's almost been ignored on the grand scale of everything. But we know, Right. I'll go a step further and I'll end with this. I, I, I talk boxing a lot and I've, I've, I've talked boxing with, you know, I had Mikey Garcia on the show. I had Kelly Pavlik. And when I talked to both of them, I, I made the Mayweather. You had Kelly Pavlik on the show? Yeah, I had Kelly Pavlik. You remember Kelly? I don't care. Yeah, Kelly Pavlik. Was the, he was dope. I think he started drinking too much or some shit. Yeah, yeah, man. Hey, Kelly Pavlik was a bad man, you know? Well, uh, anyways, I was going to tell you, whenever I spoke to them, I said, look, let's talk about Mayweather. Let's talk about his career. I love Mayweather. I think he's a great fighter, but the reality of it is he did not become a pay-per-view draw because he had fought Gotti. He was the B-side on the Gotti fight, 
it sold well, but it didn't, it wasn't a, a massive fight. He didn't he didn't become a mainstream star until he fought De La Hoya. Once he fought De La Hoya, that put him on the map. But I'll go a step further. You know that Mayweather has never done over a million pay-per-view buys without a Latino. The only person that he did over a million pay-per-view buys with outside of a Latino was Manny Pacquiao, which let's be honest, the Latino fans, we adopted Pacquiao because he was running through Morales, Pereira, you know what I'm saying? Uh, there, 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 was, there was Mexicans rooting him. They were rooting on him to beat uh, uh, Morales, and they loved him back when he fought Morales and Pereira and shit, too. And, yeah, like, uh, <laughs> he's like, I'm a fighter, man. Pac, you know, you got boxers. Like, Mayweather is a, is, a, is a genius boxer. There's a difference between a boxer and a fighter, you know what I'm saying? In my opinion, I, I think Mayweather is the genius number one boxer. You, you, you know what I mean? But when I call when I when I say fighter, I go to Manny Pacquiao because Manny Pacquiao fights. Yeah, you know well, I mean? and, and, and I'm a fight fan. You know what I mean? You you can say whatever you want. Oh, the, the boxing purists will say, "Oh, but that's pure boxing," or that's yeah. that's you know that's cool too. But that's that's that's. But in my I like fighters. You know what I mean? I like fighters. Well, you know, and the, the point I was trying to make was, and I, by the way, I, I agree with you as well, but the point I was trying to make was like, okay, he, let, me, let me rephrase that. He did over a million with Shane Mosley. He did over a million with Conor McGregor, which let's be honest, that wasn't really a boxing match. That was a sideshow. That was a sideshow. And, and, then, and, then, and then he did it with Pacquiao, which again, we adopted Pacquiao. The Mexican fight fans adapt, adopted, adopted him, but anybody else that he did over a million with was always Latinos. You had Canelo, you had Cotto, you had Marquez. So like I always go, man. Floyd understood the importance of the fa- the, the the fan base. You know what I mean? Like you, his his last fight against Birdo before he came back for the sideshow, he only did like four hundred thousand pay per view buys. You know, but he was on the cusp of Madonna. You know what I'm saying? So it's like we don't ever get the 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 credit for the numbers that we produce. You know what I mean? Like it, it's crazy. Disney did the Coco movie, and the Coco movie is one of the best movies in my opinion that's come out in the last 10, 15 years. I don't, I just, it, it frustrates me, bro. It frustrates me, but you nailed it. So I just wanted to let you know that we, we. You, you, you know what's so funny is, is about boxing is everybody with bottles, Mayweather fights. I mean, Mayweather's great. Don't get me, I, I love him. Mayweather's a great fucking, he's, un, he's, he's very, 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 very great fighter. The best, top, you know, top, top five, maybe top five of all time. But. A lot of the pay-per-views was people wanted to watch him lose. They were hoping he would lose. It's not like they would buy the pay-per-views because they want to see a fucking Mayweather fight. They, a lot of them people wanted to fight, and they were like hoping, like, somebody please beat him, especially when it was fight a Latino. Like, the Latinos, want, they want to see that shit. A lot of them views were like, people want, is this the guy that's going to beat him? If no, is this the guy that's going to beat him? And everybody wanted to see that. When he fought Birdo, people knew, oh, he can't get Birdo away to beat him. You know what I'm saying? When he, so it's, it's, I think they really, it's, it's crazy. And, and he, he ran with that. He knew that. He knew I could play the villain guy and people. And, he, and that's why they call him Money Mayweather because he knew how to make that money and, and, he, and he was a genius about it. Well, man, I appreciate your time, man. I know that your phone's been going off and you got to get around to doing what you got to do. But uh, I appreciate you jumping on here, Bash. I don't give a damn what you say. You are a legend. And, <laughs> and uh, we'll catch up once all this is said and done, man. So, you know, right, all the work. Good interview. Good job. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir, man. Much love, bro.